how easy it is to be overcome by doubt and especially by doubters. Who hasn't faced this? Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called his parents. They asked him, Is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he see? His parents replied, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. Well, good morning, church. What a wonderful Sunday to gather together and to hear God's word. Will you guys join me in a time of prayer as we calm our hearts and get, and get ready to dive into God's word? God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity you've given to us as a church to gather, to worship your name, God, but to ultimately dive into your word, to hear and to learn from you, God. And I just pray that you would steady our hearts, God, that you remove all distractions as we come before you, God. And then as we learn what you have for us, God, that you would give us the joy to follow you. Uh, we just ultimately put it all into your hands. Amen. And so as I was reflecting upon this week and kind of looking back at, at my childhood and even through my years of Bible college and how, how God has got me here as a pastor, because I remember growing up, I, I was, since birth, I had been coming to church, right? Ever since I was born, I've been, I've been going to church with my parents. But I didn't actually become a believer until I was 14, when I went off... In, not even in Canada, I went to the States to this Russian Bible camp. And that was, it was there that I, I truly saw what it really means to be a Christian and that my life didn't actually reflect that. And since there has been, it's been this, this, this weird journey of God, God putting me in situations where I shouldn't really be and slowly breaking down barriers and putting me in a place where he will, he will truly use me and it'll be through his power. And growing up, I never thought I would be a pastor. I didn't even think I was going to be a pastor in my first year, my second year, or even my third year of Bible college. So when I was, when I was 17, the only reason I went to Bible college is because ever since I was, I was a child, my parents were like, you're going to do one year of Bible college. It's just going to be a thing where it's like, I did it, my brothers did it, we're all going to do one year of Bible college right after we graduated, and then we can pursue our career. And when I, when I started my first year of Bible college, I remember that first week, Joel could, Joel could attest to this, is that our minds were constantly blown. You sit down and you think you know the Bible, right? You grew up in the church and you sit down and this professor just starts dropping bombs on you and you're like, I know nothing. And I remember sitting there and I was like, I love this. I love not knowing anything and just being able to learn. And I remember we were hitting a point in my first year where we were getting close to the end of the semester and we had to decide, it's like, are we coming back for a second year? And I remember looking at my bank account and I was like, there's no way I can come back again. And so I was like, but I felt a calling from God being like, I want you to go back for another year. And so I began praying and asking God, it's like, if you really, really want this for me, you have to make a way. And it was that week, I was in the gym with my friend, and he, he looked at me and he went, hey, do you want to go tree planting with me? And I was like, uh, maybe, like how much did you, because he had went the season before, and I was like, how much did you make? And he was like $12,000. And I was like, man, 
I need exactly $12,000 to do another year. And God, God took that and he opened that door and I was like, cool, I'm doing a second year. And, and there was no plan in my head to be in ministry. For me, I'd kind of considered becoming, becoming a missionary maybe because I, I speak Russian fluently. I was like, maybe God will use me in that area, but there's no way I'm going to become a pastor. This right here was one of my greatest fears growing up is, is public speaking. And I was like, there's no way that God, was, that God is going to use me in this way. And yet, uh, I do it every Friday before the youth that here I am on a Sunday morning. But it was through my second year, too, that I, I, I kept experiencing this, like, I don't know anything. I kept learning and growing in my faith through Bible college. And getting, getting closer to my year, the end of my second year, I was like, oh, okay, I can do a third year now. And so I went back tree planting, made enough money, came back, did a third year. And in our third years, we have a chance to do a fourth year. And a fourth year was an internship where you get placed in a church or a missions organization and, and you work there. And every once a month, you go back to school for classes. But it was a very kind of real opportunity. And so I, I had begun to actually talk with, with a missions organization to go and work in either Siberia or Ukraine. And they were like, we would love to have you. There's so many opportunities to intern that can eventually turn into a permanent position. And I was like, this is, this is wonderful. God's opening doors for me to go and to do this thing and to use this, this language that he has given me. And I remember I talked with him and he's like, yeah, I'll go back. I'll reach out to the director in Eastern Europe and he'll contact you and we'll get things rolling. And I remember sitting down three months later, receiving no emails, no phone calls, nothing. And it was, we were weeks away from the end of the semester. And I knew God was calling me to a fourth year, but now I had no idea where. And so I sat down with my fourth year director and I was like, I, it just fell through. I don't know what to do. And he's like, don't worry. I've just had three or four churches contact me being like, we want interns. And he, led, he read me off a list of churches, where they were and what they wanted. And one of them was a youth intern position. And through my whole time in, in Bible college, I was like, I'm not going to become a youth pastor. <laughs> because I, I, I would meet people, like people my age, and, and they, would, they would be these, these outgoing, eccentric guys who were just fun and, and just kind of loved kids. And I was like, I am not that. I actually find teenagers a bit annoying. <laughs> and so when, when this youth interposition, it was immediately like a write-off for me. But I took this list of four churches, and I prayed from, through them that week. And something about that youth intern position just stuck in my head. And I felt like God singled out this one church for me. And was like, I'm calling you there. And so I, I, I accepted defeat, and I was like, I'm going to become a youth intern. <laughs> and so I ended up, I, I called this, this pastor that was wanting this intern, and I was like, hey, can you kind of explain what what exactly your youth ministry looks like. Because the way I grew up with youth ministry is that it was all fun and games. You would show up on a Friday night, there would be some huge activity, or we'd go bowling, or we'd go to a trampoline park, whatever it was, and, and somewhere in there, they would throw in a 15-minute message, and that was it. I remember looking back at my youth ministry experiences, and I was like, there was no gospel. There was no heart change for me through that. It was useless. And I was like, I do not want to be part of that kind of system. I don't want to be a babysitter on a Friday night. But I, I phoned this, this youth pastor, and I was like, can you kind of run me through how you run your youth ministry? And he's like, well, first off, we have no games. And I was like, uh-oh, what's, what's about to happen? And he explained to me, it's like they, they come, they gather, 
They have a meal together. They have a time of worship. They have a sermon and they have small groups. And I was like, man, this guy must have a, a youth ministry of five people. And he was like, no, we have 120 kids come every week. It was a church of 400 people and there was 120 youth. Why? Because he took this model of discipleship and he had applied it to his youth ministry. And he understood that the youth weren't looking for fun and games. They were looking for deep, meaningful relationships. And they were, they, they, they were ready to come and to learn about Jesus. And they wanted to have a real relationship with God. And something clicked in my heart at that point. I was like, if anything, even if I don't get called to youth ministry through this internship, I will still learn and grow as, as, as just a Christian and how to disciple and to teach not just youth, but everyone. And so I went to this internship and Pastor Joel can also attest to this, is that my first three months were kind of sucky because I came in with that same, same mindset of like, I don't like youth. This is not going to be where God calls me. But God is more persistent than I am, and he slowly changed my heart in that. And by November, I had fallen in love with all the youth. God had transformed my heart through that. And I remember after November... I could definitively say I was called to become a youth pastor. In spite of it all, God changed my heart. And I was just talking to Nick Hack out in the, in the atrium, and he said the first time he met me, he didn't really like me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm a, I'm a slow burn person, so the more you get to know me, the, more, the better I become. And which is fair, many people, my own, my own fiance has said that about me. But truly, I do love youth ministry, and I feel like this is where God has called me. And those who God calls, he equips. Because currently, this, this is not my, my strength here. And to the world, it may seem foolish, right? Like Pastor Joel talked about last week. When you begin to actually live in faith, the world looks at it and goes, why? I remember telling people that I'm going to Bible college, and they're like, why? And I was like, I don't really know. And they were like, how much does it cost? I was like, it's around 13000 a year. And they were like, that's then you don't know what you're doing with it? You're just learning the Bible? And I was like, yeah, I guess. Right, to the world, it looks foolish. And there was people in my life that doubted. I remember I came home once, I think it was in my second year, and I'd run into an old family friend, and I was explaining to him, I was like, yeah, I'm in just Bible college. I'm just learning and growing my faith. And he's like, why? Like, you don't need that. Because right? when we truly live in faith, the world doesn't, doesn't understand the world doesn't understand that God will open doors for you when he calls you, and he will close them too. My internship to, to Siberia looked like an open door. And the second I took that step of faith being like, I'll go, God closed it. And so today we were, we're looking at the story in John 9 where this man who was born blind, right from birth, And Jesus takes him and he, and he makes mud with some spit and he puts it on his eyes and he says, go wash yourself. And to the world looking at this, they see a blind man with mud stumbling around. It looks weird. It looks different. The world will doubt it. It'll look foolish. This is what John 9, 6 to 7 said. And then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes, and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. What a wonderful miracle. 
Right? This story is so simple, you, you can just read it and understand. And yet, when this man comes back, what is his neighbor's response? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. Immediately, the people who had lived around him, who had seen him begging every day, immediately cast doubt on it. They go, this can't be the man. There's no way this man was healed. And this is not a new idea that we see in the Bible. The Israelites were, were a doubting people. Right from the start, right from the garden, right? God creates this amazing garden out of nothing. He creates the animals, the birds, the fish, all the wildlife, and then he puts men and women there. And he gives them one rule. He's don't eat of this tree. A very simple command. But then we open up to Genesis 3, right in verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Doubt of God's words. And in Genesis 3, verses 6, five verses is all it took, and the woman was convinced. She saw that the, true, that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. We're three chapters into the Bible, and immediately the people who God created out of dust are doubting his word. And this doesn't stop here. We get to the story of Moses, where God had miraculously saved his people out of slavery in Egypt. Miracle after miracle after miracle happened here. And finally, at the end of it all, the sea was split in two. And the people walked on dry ground into freedom. And behind them, God closed the seas on his enemies. And shortly after, we get this story. Moses is up on the mountain. He's up there for too long, according to the people. And Exodus 32, verse 1 says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on. They said, Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And then it says, Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, and so he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So here are the people of Israel. They, have, they had watched the Almighty God perform miracle after miracle after miracle for them lead them out of slavery through a sea which he split. And the second it takes Moses too long on the mountain, they go, we must make a different God. And then they claim that this golden calf is, is the one that saved them out of Egypt. And it keeps going. Even Moses himself, the man who God, who God called to, to use to rescue his people. 
In the book of Numbers, we see Moses is, is called to go speak to a rock so that it may pour a water for the people of Israel. It says Moses took his staff and he, and he hit the rock. Doubting that through simply speaking that God can use that. And so he never entered the promised land. And the people of Israelite as well, after countless miracles once again, are standing before the border of the promised land. And they send scouts in. And what do the scouts find? The scouts find that the people are big, that this may be a hard fight. And so the people of Israel go, we don't want any part of this. Even though they have the promise that God has set before them, that they will take this promised land. And this pattern is repeated over and over and over as we read the Old Testament. And then we get to the book of John. And we go, this, it might be different this time. Now they have Jesus, right? And you read the book of John, and the people who doubted Jesus, his brothers, his own followers, the religious scholars who knew of a coming Messiah, the smartest people and his closest people still doubted him. And this is why we see in John 20, it says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The whole point of the book of John is to point people's eyes to Jesus, to make them understand who he is. And so we reach the story of John 9. And in this, in this wonderful miracle where Jesus takes this man was a born blind who had never seen and he makes him see and when presented with this miracle on display for the Pharisees they harden their hearts and they cannot accept the power of Jesus and if we look at this story this is the exact problem we will face when we truly begin to live in faith the world will doubt it when, when the Holy Spirit truly begins to change our lives, the world around us will look at that and go, did it really happen? When the Holy Spirit begins to perform miracles, the world will doubt. When we go out and be, begin to live in obedience to Christ, right? when we go out and begin to make disciples, the people that we preach the gospel to will doubt. And when you personally get changed, by the Spirit, the world around you, that could be friends and family, will doubt. And so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 9. We'll start at verse 17, where it says, Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So this man at this point doesn't understand that Jesus is the Messiah. All he knows is that this man healed him. And so the beggar knows his Old Testament, understands that you can't do it outside the power of God. And so he goes, I think this man must be a prophet. But the Pharisees cannot accept this. And so they continue on. We see in the next two verses, it says, the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and now see. And so they called in his parents and they asked, is this your son? Was he born blind? 
If so, how can he seek? So now twice they have interviewed this man. He stood before them and testified that, yes, I was born blind and now I can see, right? A miracle on display for them. And yet they still refuse to believe to a point where they go and they call his parents and they go, come, come, come. We, we need to know, is this your son? Was he actually born blind? And how can he see? I often, I read this and I remember my childhood because I was the same way with my parents. They would tell me something and I would question and doubt and be like, is this really truth? I remember a few instances where I paid for this. We used to have an old stove just like this. You guys know where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was like, don't don't touch the red thing. It's hot. You're going to burn yourself. And uh, I didn't believe her. And so one day she's cooking, she's cooking, she takes a pan, she turns around, and I go, slap, put my hand on that. And I, boy, was I wrong, right? And I, I don't know if it's a, it's a Russian thing, my mom put sour cream on my hand because it, it helps with the burn, apparently. But, I, but I, I didn't really learn my lesson then because I was like, oh, it must be hot only when it's red. And so one time I waited till it, it, it stopped glowing, right? I like stood there for a while. It, was, it wasn't right anymore. I just went, bop, again. Boy, was I wrong again. And you would think I learned, right, to, to actually listen to my parents when they go, don't touch that, it's hot. And yet, I don't know if you guys have irons at home. <laughs> but I had to test my theories once again. And my mom went, no, no, don't touch that, that's hot. And once again, she's ironing clothes. The second she turns around, I stick my hand right on that iron. I burned myself a lot as a kid. I, <laughs> I learned through failure. Right? But it's, it, the Pharisees are acting the same way. Just like a child when his, when his parents tell him, don't do this. They go, I don't believe you. Give me more proof. And so here are the parents. Continuing in John 9, his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how. How he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. And so here are his parents. They answer the first two questions pretty easily. Yeah, he's our son. Kind of, for parents, you would, hopefully you would know who your kids are. <laughs> And they go, yeah, he was blind. Of course you would know that, right? If one of your children was born blind and you had to raise them blind, you would know that they were blind. So now the parents have a son who can see. What a crazy miracle for them to experience after, after raising their kid, his whole life not being able to see. And yet if you look just one verse further, you you see that they were afraid. They were afraid to say who healed him. The fact that this this part is in this passage shows us that they knew. They knew who healed him, but they also knew the consequences that the Pharisees had set. They had implemented a new law stating that if anyone declares that Jesus is the Messiah, would be kicked out. 
They would have been kicked out of the temple, banned from religious activities. And for these people, that was, that was their whole life revolved around it. And so to be kicked out, it would mean you lose friends, you lose family, you lose your community. And so to them, pointing to Jesus for this ultimate miracle was not worth the sacrifice. And so they should be celebrating this awesome miracle of their son's healing. And yet they wash their hands clean of it. And so this is the, the truth that we have to come, come towards as Christians. In Matthew 10, verses 34, Jesus says this. He says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Your faith, your faith in Jesus will put you at odds with the world. It will put you at odds with friends. It will put you at odds with family. But there is a call for us to stand firm in our faith. And even in spite of all the doubts, we know that we have a mighty God. And in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, we see these words. It says, See how very much our Father loves us, and he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the world who belongs... But the people who belong to the world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Right, if you guys continue reading in John 9, we see that the end, the end of this, this trial, this interrogation, this man sarcastically responds to the Pharisees asking them if they want to be Jesus' disciples too. And that angers them so much to a point where they call him a total sinner. And they take him and they throw him out casting him out. And if you continue reading, in the following verses, it says, Jesus then went to find him, and he found him. Even in rejection for us, we know that we have a faithful God who will never leave us. And on top of that, he then created a community, a family for us to be in. It's, we call it church. It's why you come every Sunday. It's why we have youth groups and small groups and everything else, and we have our banquet coming up. Why? Because this, this is our place where we as Christians can come together and to truly be a family here. So God knows that by following him, we will be rejected, that we will be thrown out. And yet he loves us enough to go and seek out every single one of us to bring us in and to create a new family for us. One where we are all aligned in vision and where we are going, but we are aligned in one ultimate hope is that every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us were rebels against God. We were dead in our sins. And in spite of all of that, God still went, I'm going to love you. 
And not just that, I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to take my one and only son who's going to humble himself by coming to this earth, living amongst you for 33 years for the purpose of being taken, tortured, and killed. Not for, not for himself, but for you and me. Because of our sin, because of that rebellious nature, Jesus had to come and to die. And the good news is that he didn't stay dead, is that he conquered death and three days later he rose again. And we can put our hope in that. That is what ultimately unites us as a church. And that's what makes us a family is that we can put our faith in a God that never changes and never wavers. The ways of the world are constantly changing. You older people can, can testify to that. Even you not-so-old people can look back 10 years ago and go, the world was a completely different place 10 years ago. And yet the one thing that never changes for us is that we have a loving Savior who is with us and watches us and creates a family that is based upon truth and love and ultimately, on top of that, he doesn't go, cool, I'm now going to just send you out in the world. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to give you a helper. And so on top of all these great things he gives us, he then gives us the Holy Spirit on top of it. saying so he doesn't expect us to do this walk ourselves. And so we have these, these ultimate truths that God has given us. That even in spite of the rejection and the doubt we may face in this world, because we will. If you read, just read Mark 10. Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world and he tells them exactly what it's going to be like. The rejection they'll face. Everything. And in spite of it all, we look forward to a greater hope because this is not our home. We wait for that ultimate hope of heaven. And so I always like to finish my, my youth sermons with with some questions. Questions to get us thinking and to turn our hearts back to God. And so I have two for you today. The first is, are you living out your faith? Because we see that doubt will come. A lot of the times, us, we, we as Christians, right, I, I grew up in the church. For 13 years, I sat my dad always put a second row, right? Right where the pastor can always make eye contact whenever he was making a point. And I sat there for 13 years listening to the words that God has given the pastor. And we went one ear and out the other. There was never any actual change for me. 13 years it took. And it's so easy to become comfortable in our situations where our faith becomes a Sunday morning thing where we come, we sit in our chairs, we check off our Christian box and we go home and there's no actual change week to week. We can't look back in our lives and be like, how has Jesus actually changed me? Because ultimately we know that we are saved by our fruits. And if you have no fruit, how do you know you are saved? And so are you living out your faith is a fair question that we should all be 
and asking ourselves. Because if we are truly not living out our faith, how can we say we are saved? And then the next question, maybe you answer the first question, you go, yep, I'm good. And I ask you, are you a part of a church family? The question is not, are you, do you go to church? Is are you a part of a church family? Because if you look at your family situations at home, right, dinner time comes, there's usually one person making the food. Usually it's the mom for us at home. Mom is always sitting there cooking. Dad would be at work. And then it would be our job as the kids. One would clean the dishes. One would clear the table. And one would put away the dishes, right? We all had our roles. We had our jobs. That's how a family functions. You work together. And a lot of times people don't treat church as a family. They treat it as a restaurant where you come, you're able to place your order, you get it, and you leave. Now, so I ask you, are you part of this church family? If we look at our nine habits, the reason serve is on there is because it connects you and makes, it makes this real for you, this, whole, this, this idea of church. It's like we need a place that we can come and be safe. The Bible, it calls us sheep. And if you've ever researched or heard about sheep, you'll realize they are very stupid. <laughs> like, very stupid. I didn't even realize until I went to a sheep farm once. And they're like, we have to usher in every single sheep into the barn. Because if we leave one outside, even if it's three feet away from the barn, it will freeze to death. Because they're just dumb. And we are called sheep. We need, we need guidance. We need protection. And the church is where we come, we get that. And church is also like a breath of fresh air for us. As we come, we're able to take a deep breath before we go back out into the world, to a world that doesn't accept our Lord and Savior, to a world that will reject us ultimately. So I ask you, are you part of a church family? Are you part of our church family? Because we live in a hostile world that is getting more and more hostile, where our faith needs to be real. Our faith needs to be rooted in Christ and his power and what he has done for us. So I leave you with these two questions. Are you living out your faith? And are you a part of this church family? Will you join me in prayer? God, we just thank you we thank you for this wonderful truth, God, that you love us. God, that you have brought us into your family, God, that you have given us this safe place where we as your sheep can come and have fellowship with other, with other Christians, God. Where we can put this, our, our stress and the things of this world aside as we come and we worship you today. And God, I pray for every single one of us that you would be working in our hearts. God, through the Holy Spirit, empowering us to go out into the world and to live out our faith. And God, I pray for every single one of us that we'd be able to get connected with our church family. And God, we just pray that you would continue to grow in us and change us to be more like your son. God, that we could ultimately bring you glory at the end of it all.
And God, we just await the day when you'll come back, God, and we'll be able to be with you in glory and just worship your name. And God, we put it all into your hands. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys.